Matthew chapter 8, we've been seeing for the last few weeks, thank you by the way for, for those who filled in, Kirk and others who filled in while I was gone last week, I was sick, thank you for, um, for all the work you put into that in the last minute. Um, and as we return to Matthew chapter 8, we've been looking at Jesus, the healer. We've been looking at Jesus, a, a rabbi. Today we see a little shift in how he's ministering. We've seen him healing lepers, the servant. We've seen him casting out demons and healing other sick. We've seen him healing Peter's mother-in-law. And we saw disciples who were trying to follow after Jesus, and Jesus was kind of making it hard for them. Telling them that if you're going to follow this Jesus, you've got to follow more than just a spectacle. Somebody, some healer, some great person doing great things. You need to follow me as I am. Not just as the spectacle, but as the, the one who is about to be crushed. The one who does not promise you a comfortable, satisfying life. As the world considers satisfaction. Today we're going to see a little bit different of a perspective of how Jesus is teaching us. <clears throat> We've seen him as one who has power over the human body. And today, the perspective that we see today is one perhaps that's even a little bit more amazing than having power over a human body. I mean, it's still amazing to see somebody come up to a person and heal them. But there are other ways that we can see people get better. Medicine, different kinds of treatments. People get healed a number of different ways. But what we're going to see in Jesus today is something that no man could ever have an ounce of control over. We have a little bit of control over our bodies. You're in pain, take some medicine. You're sick, take some medicine. It helps. It helps take away the, the infirmity. We have a little bit of say over what happens in our bodies. But today as we view Jesus again, we don't have a say like Jesus has as we're going to see today. This makes Jesus stand out just a little bit more. Starting in verse 23 in Matthew chapter 8, let's read. Matthew writes, Now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be? that even the winds and the sea obey him. Lord, I pray that you would give us insight today into your spirit, into your eternal nature. Help us to know Jesus that much more. Let us understand your will that much better. Let as Nancy played, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Lord, I pray that your spirit would fall fresh on us as we view the Christ of your word. 
that we might understand these things. Not just understand the story. That's easy to anybody with a brain. Lord, let us see what it is that you have for your disciples here. For we, your disciples, what do you have for us? What would you have us know of Christ? Help us to not feel okay. Help us to know that we always must be learning from you, our God. That we must always be drawing near unto you. You have drawn near unto us. Such a thing is not beyond your ability to accomplish. Reveal to us your great word. In Jesus' name, amen. And as we read here, we see today that it's not just that Jesus has power over the human body, but Jesus has authority over nature. That's something that not everybody can claim. Nobody can claim that. You go outside and you see a storm like Jesus was in the middle of, and you say, peace, be still. What's going to happen? The same thing that's been happening ever since the storm started. (laughs) You go out to, let's say it's summertime, you go out to the front yard and you say, grass be cut. (laughs) Is that going to do anything? No, that would be kind of nice. It would help with our bills, right? (laughs) We wouldn't have to pay somebody to mow our grass. We have no power over nature. Not a bit. We can't just go out and speak to nature and see stuff happen. Here we see Jesus has authority over nature. Specifically in this passage, Jesus is revealing his power over the Sea of Galilee. That's the sea that they are on, also known as the Sea of Tiberias or the Great Sea. We know that Jesus was in Capernaum. That's where he was performing a lot of these healings. That's where he was when, when in, in Peter's house. Peter's house was in Capernaum. And that's where he kind of set up shop for, for a large part of his ministry. He was in Capernaum, which was on the, the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, a fishing, a fishing town. And we also see, if we're going to look at this contextually, that they're going to um, a place called Gadara. Um, and that's something we'll look into the next time we come to this passage, where Jesus does, performs another miracle. But that, and that's on the southeast part of the Sea of Galilee. So they are literally crossing the, the longest stretch you could possibly cross from the northwest side of the sea to the southeast side of the Sea of the Galilee. And um, we're going to see again after that that he crosses the sea again. He comes back from Gadara and crosses back over the sea um, to about the, west, to about the mid, midwest part of the sea. Now, when you are going on a trip... Are you just kind of wandering? You just kind of, ah, I'm going to go in the car and kind of see where I end up. How often do we do that? Every once in a while, maybe you're bored or maybe you're stressed and you need to kind of take a load off and you go for a drive out in the countryside. And, you know, is that what Jesus is doing? Just, you know what, I'm going to go for a, a, a boat ride <laughs> across the Sea of Galilee because I just kind of need to take a load off. Or do you think Jesus... When he does something, he does something with intent. I think the latter. You know, we see Jesus crossing the Sea of Galilee and then crossing the Sea of Galilee again. Why couldn't he have just stayed on this side and done what he did over here? Why did he have to cross the Sea of Galilee? 
Well, Jesus has intent in every single thing that he does. Even when he gets into a boat and crosses to the other side of a sea, Jesus knows what he's doing. He has a plan. So when this storm arises, do you think that it was happenstance? And it says here, in verse 23, he got into a boat and his disciples followed him. Previously, his miracles were done okay, with his disciples and with multitudes around. People who weren't necessarily his disciples. Every, tons and tons of people are watching Jesus performing these miracles. Okay, these healings. Casting out some demons. Tons and tons of people are watching him do these things. But here, we get to a situation where only his disciples are watching him do this. In a way, you could see this story as a, as a, a boot camp for their faith. A training seminar. Only it's a little bit more dangerous than your typical seminar in a, in a hotel hall. Because that's how Jesus works. If we want to really learn faith, if we really want to learn how to be a disciple of God, of Christ, we need to be risky. We need to be in danger. Because that's how his kingdom works. That's how we cast off the flesh. By constantly being in situations where we must cast off the flesh. If we're going to cast it off and one day when we die, then as we walk this life, God is going to be putting us through things that are constantly intending for us to be casting off the flesh. For the corruptible must give way to the incorruptible, as we've talked about before. In this life, we see little pieces of what's going to happen. We're going to cast off the flesh one day. And as we live this life, he's going to be putting us through things that cause us to cast off the flesh bit by bit. To grow. It's called active, progressive sanctification. That's what that is. Sanctification is not learning books. Sanctification is casting off the flesh. That's what it is. Growing in our faith, in our reliance on Jesus Christ. And here we see Jesus taking his disciples on a journey. The disciples just thought they were going to cross the sea. They were following him. Yeah, he's going to do something in the town on the other side. They had no idea what was going to happen on, in the meantime. Jesus did. Jesus' business is not just going on trips. Jesus' business is kingdom business. It's soul business. It's not just about getting work done. You know, we, we live our life, we go to work, we get stuff done. And we train ourselves to be all about getting work done. Oh, got another project down. Got that fixed. Got that maintained. Okay, got stuff done. But that's not Jesus' way. It's not about just getting stuff done. It's about building faith. It's about sanctifying his sanctified people. Jesus is not just in the business of taking a trip, accomplishing something, moving on. It's all about kingdom business. It's about soul business. Not about just taking care of matters of the flesh. Everything that happens in this story is intentional. Even this near-death experience that we see the disciples coming to because God is not a reactionary God. Jesus is not just reacting to the storm. Look at Romans chapter 8. 
Romans chapter 8 tells us in verse 25, give you a second to get there. We're going to skip, we're going to start in verse 18. We're going to skip across. The, so let's try to follow along here. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed unto us. So, right now, we see that we're on a journey, right? We have a glory that's going to be revealed to us. We know that that's the destination. In the meantime, we have suffering. We know that this suffering is not worthy to be compared with the destination of the glory that's going to be revealed in us. So, in a way, we're on the Sea of Galilee. We're suffering. We're in the middle of a near-death experience. In fact, we will die in this sea. We will die on this sea. It's not just a near-death experience. It's an expected death experience, this life that we live. But we know where we're going. Look at verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We don't exactly know what the journey is going to look like. We don't even really know what the glory is going to look like. We have some snippets. We have some images. But we don't know exactly what it's going to be like. But we want it. Whatever it is, we know it's going to be good. Now look at verse 27. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So here we see here that the Spirit prays for us because the Spirit knows what the will of God is. You and I don't know what the will of God is all the time, but the Spirit does, and he prays for us according to the will of God. He knows what it is. He knows exactly what to pray for. Verse 28, and we know that all things, this is what the Spirit knows, okay? He knows the details about this. We know through a glass darkly. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. The Spirit knows the details. He knows how all of our trials are good for us and why we're going through it. We don't know. Job didn't know. We don't know why we're going through what we're going through. But the Spirit does. That's why we need to rely on His prayers because He knows what to pray for. But here we see here, we know, we have knowledge here. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. So here we can be confident in this one thing. If you're going through a trial, it's because it's for your good. That's knowledge that we can download into our minds or upload or whatever the proper term. And we need Wyatt here. <laughs> we know. Do you know that? Every single thing that you go through is for your good because God is not a reactionary God. He is intentional in everything that he puts in our lives. Do you know that? Do you understand that? If you're going through a trial, financial difficulties, a death in the family, a disease, a sickness, a pain, an infirmity, Soul pain. Do you know that whatever you're going through, it's there for your good? Do you believe it? Do you really believe that? The Spirit knows this. He knows all the details. And we are so proud, right? I mean, how many people do you talk to that, I'm not going to believe in God until you can prove to me that he exists and why he's doing all this stuff that I don't agree with. But how many times are we kind of like that too? 
Prove to me why this is good. Why, God, are you doing this to me? I will not be satisfied until I have an answer. So we're practical Christian atheists. Because we just want answers before we're going to submit. Before we're going to claim the truth that we know from the scriptures. It says in verse 29 of Romans chapter 8. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So the trial leads you to this, so that you might look like Jesus. Because that's God's will for every single one of us. That we might be like Jesus. That our faith might be whole and complete. Moreover, in verse 30, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, he justified. Whom he justified, he glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Listen to that. If God is for us, who can be against us? Think about it this way. If we know, if we understand, verse 28, that everything is for your good, then can you really consider anything to be against you? Can anything really be totally your enemy for your ill? for your hurt, for your demise. Is that how God treats his children? I'm going to put this into their life because I want to see them fall. Because I want to see them discouraged and miserable. I want to see their faith fall apart. Does God act like that? No, he doesn't act like that. If God is for us, who, or you could even say what, can really be against us? If we already know that everything's for us because of God's love for his people and his calling for us, for his will that we know that we could be, should be, pre, be conformed into the image of his son, how can anything work against that? How could God allow anything in our lives that works against the will that we do know that God wants us to be conformed into the image of his son? No, everything is beneficial to the will of God in your life. Everything. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? I mean, God gave us Jesus, sacrificed him on the bloody cross of Gethsemane. If God's going to do that, why do we think there's anything that can stand in between us and God? Why do we think that there's anything that God will not do for us, for our good? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet... In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Listen to that. Verses 36 and 37. That seems like an oxymoron, right? They seem to contradict each other. Let me read those again. For your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all those things, we are counted, we are more than conquerors. Those seem, those <laughs> don't seem to go together. But he's following the train of thought that he was just talking about. Should anything be against us? Can anything be against God's will for us? 
If God is for you, can even your death be against you? Can even your slaughter for the cause of Christ be against you? Even if you were to lose everything, even to the point of losing your life, if we know that God orchestrates everything in our lives so that we might be conformed into the image of his Son to perform his will, can even our death stand in the way of God? In fact, what accomplishes this will more than death? For when we die, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Death is the the epitome of God carrying out his will, giving us the glory that right now we're just looking forward to. Even if we're slaughtered and killed, we are a conqueror through him who loved us, loved. Do you understand the word love in relationship to the idea of being killed, slaughtered by our enemies? All the day long. Do you see love working in that? Do you see God's love working in this situation that you're currently going through that is miserable, that is hopeless, that you have no idea what you're going to do? Do you see the love of God in that? Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we don't feel it. We don't sense it. We don't understand it. I've been there. I've had those prayers where I'm just accusing God. How could you be doing this to me? I see in scripture all of the love and all the good that you have. How in the world could this be happening? I've prayed those prayers in pain. I felt the pain of faithlessness. But here we see that God's love is in all of it. Come back to Matthew chapter 8. In verse 24, suddenly the great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with waves. Have you ever been in a boat on choppy water? Have you ever been in a boat where the waves are so big that they are covering the boat? I've never been in that situation. Have you ever been in that situation? Raise your hand if you have. What's it like? Scary. Scary. Right. Doesn't matter how big or how secure that boat feels. You don't feel so secure, do you? <laughs> I've, been, I've been on choppy waters where the boat's rocking and you have to hold on to something to keep from falling over. That's not very secure. That doesn't feel very secure. Let alone the situation that these disciples are in where the the boat is being covered with the waves. And even more, (laughs) these last four words, he, but he was asleep. What? Jesus was asleep? This is going on, all this is happening and Jesus is sleeping? Why in the world would he be sleeping? I mean, this is an interesting thing to think about. I mean, it is... It is unreasonable for somebody to be asleep while this is happening. Nobody sleeps in the middle of this storm. I mean, the boats that were on the Sea of Galilee were not huge ships. They were not barges. They were not cruise ship-sized boats that were barely touched by the waves. They were more likely 
small fishing boats where you felt every single wave. And here we see Jesus sleeping. Do you think that was by accident that Jesus was sleeping? Or do you think that this is for our instruction? Jesus, knowing the will of God, was content and secure and asleep. He knew what was he knew why they got in that boat. He knew what was going to happen on that sea. He knew why. He wasn't afraid. He didn't look at the impending doom and say, "Man, that's that's tough." <laughs> he wasn't afraid of those waves. He could sleep. And the disciples Verse 25, came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're perishing. The complete opposite of Jesus. They are freaking out. In fact, in the parallel passage in Mark, they say, do you not care that we're perishing? They're accusing Jesus of not caring about them, of not being with them. Jesus, what are you doing? Why are you sleeping? Don't you care about us? And, you know, the disciples didn't really know what Jesus was capable of. It was more, they were more or less being like, you know, <clears throat> those of you who have kids or, or whatever, when the, when the lightning strikes and then the kid just clings to, to their, their parent, their, their dad or their mom or whoever's closest. Not that the parent can do anything about the lightning. <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do about it? But they're afraid. So they're going to cling to the to the to the one that's nearest to them that they love and that is secure and safe. Even if that person can't do anything about it. And these people, they've never seen Jesus do anything about nature. They don't know what he's capable of. They're not even really really secure in the mindset that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, one of the, the parts of the Godhead. They're not even really fully in the line with that at this point of the ministry. But they run to Jesus saying, Lord, save us. We're perishing. And Jesus says to them, and this is funny. I mean, it's kind of funny. You have to laugh at this a little bit. Why are you fearful, O oh, you of little faith? <laughs> what else were they supposed to do? They've never, been, they've never seen somebody calm the storm. They've never seen Jesus make the waves go away. They've heard stories of Elijah praying for rain or praying for a drought, things like that. They've heard the story of Jonah where, the, where, yeah, okay, God calmed the storm when Jonah hit the waters, but they didn't want to hit the waters. <laughs> they didn't want to get swallowed by a fish. And Je but Jesus says, and he's, it's not like Jesus is being silly. He's being right, and it's for our instruction. He says, why are you fearful? Oh, you of little faith. It's natural for you and me in a situation like that to be fearful. It's natural. But what caused Jesus to not be fearful? He's supernatural. He's supernatural. So why would Jesus say, why are you fearful, O oh, you of little faith? He knew it was natural for them to be fearful. Because Jesus is training his disciples to think supernaturally. To be like him. To trust in who he is. He knows that they're faithless. 
but he's teaching them. He's trying to grow their faith, to sanctify them, and showing them, you can have faith in me, a faith that strips the need for fear. You can have faith. You can have faith, but it's not natural. You're not going to get this faith. You're not going to be able to sleep in the midst of the storm through the resources of modern psychology, through pills. That's not going to help you have supernatural faith. What brings the supernatural to the disciples of Christ? Christ. Christ does. Counseling is helpful. Sometimes you need the medication. Because some of these some of these things do affect your bodies. But that's not the end goal. That's not the big picture. The big picture is here. Oh, you anxious disciples, you don't need to be afraid because I'm here. You can have faith in me, the supernatural. Then Jesus, what did Jesus do? He arose and he rebuked the sea and there was a great calm. I'm going to tell you a story. There was a time when I was working in E.B. Brown where Kristen's dad works and it was in, it was in the office and... Um, and my department was going through one of, the, one of its daily crises. You know, every day there was something that somebody was freaking out about, some fire that needed to be put out. That's just a daily thing, a daily routine, always happening. There's always something going wrong. And my manager was running around like a chicken with her head cut off. And at one point she stopped at my desk and started yelling at me. And she was yelling at me because I wasn't freaking out and running around with my head cut off. She, was not, she could not understand why I was not frantic like she was. So she was yelling at me. She was angry with me. She was rebuking me because I did not look a mess. She told me that if I really cared about my job, I would be freaking out like she was. But the truth is, I, mean, I, I cared about my job, not as much about that job as other jobs. But I cared about my job. I simply knew that the fire would be resolved soon, just like it was every single day. Just like all the other fires that happen on a daily basis, I, I didn't really need to worry. It was going to get taken care of, and we were in the process of taking care of it. We had routines, we had, we had systems for taking care of these things, and we were doing it. I didn't need to freak out. And here, it's not that Jesus didn't care about his disciples. He knew how this situation was going to work out. He knew that this would all work out in a way that bore eternal fruit. He knew the purpose for the storm. He knew what he was going to do about it. He knew that there was nothing to worry about. The disciples were freaking out, and they were wondering why Jesus wasn't. Why aren't you worried about this? Don't you see what's going on? Jesus didn't need to worry because he knew everything that was behind all this. God has formed the entire world. All things are subject to him. He may seem removed from it all for some, for, from our perception, but he is behind everything. He is not a reactionary God. He is not wondering how everything is going to play out. He knows what he is fully capable of. He knows his plans and his will. He is fully aware of his love for you. 
And he is even aware of your feebleness <laughs> and what you can't do. You and I may miss these things sometimes, but he never misses these things. This is why Jesus can say something like this. Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Can you believe Jesus just, I mean, it's still kind of funny. But it's not really funny when you understand where it's coming from. He arose and he rebuked the sea. And there was a great calm. You see his authority being acted on this, on this ocean. Can you just picture yourself being there on the boat and just seeing this all take place? This, this, this rabbi, this teacher, that you know there's some, he's more than a rabbi, but you don't know exactly to the extent of what. And he speaks to the ocean, and all of a sudden, the waves fall, and the boat is still. And how, what did they, how did they react? Probably like we would react. So the men marveled, saying, who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? We as humans, we learn typically best by experience. The disciples had some good ideas about Jesus, but <clears throat> as they walked with Jesus, they were seeing firsthand what he was capable of and who he was. They weren't, wouldn't fully get it until even after he died. But bit by bit, these disciples were learning him by seeing him in every part of his life. And look at Matthew chapter 14. A similar situation occurs in this chapter. Matthew chapter 14, in verse 22, this is a similar situation that happens. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. So again, they're going to a boat, they're going to the other side of the sea. When he had sent the multitudes away, he went on the mountain to him, by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And when he had, <clears throat> Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Do you see a difference between this story at this point and the story we were just talking about? We have two situations where the disciples are in a boat, in a storm, Jesus is there. In the first, the disciples are, Jesus, save us! They're worried, they're anxious, they're about to, they feel like they're about to die. But in the second story, where they're in a, in a storm, on a boat, how does Peter respond? What does he say? Jesus, can I come out on the water? You see how his faith has grown since the last time this happened? Why? Because they've been walking with Jesus. They've been experiencing the power of God. They've been seeing him work. They have been learning more and more about Jesus. So the second time this situation happens, they know what Jesus is capable of. And they're starting to act by faith. They're starting to walk by faith. A little but it's there. Before, they had no faith whatsoever. <laughs> they, just, they just knew they were going to die. 
They had a little tiny bit of faith because they actually went to Jesus and said, Jesus, save us. But here now they're walking on water because their faith is that much bigger. But yet we still see in verse 30, when Peter saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. So now there's another trial, another thing to be afraid of. So now we're back to the beginning. Remember, Lord, save us. And now now Peter is saying the same thing. Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? See, he said the same thing, but it's a little bit further. Their faith took a little bit bigger of a step. They still had a lot of learning to do. They still had a lot of faithlessness that they were dealing with. But they acted on faith a little bit more the next time. And this is how... The Lord works with us, casting off our flesh, securing us in Christ bit by bit, experience by experience, so that we can see him work. Every little bit that we put faith in Christ, we're seeing him work a little bit more. So the next time it happens, we can step out a little bit more in faith. This is called sanctification. And I want to end here by look look at Philippians chapter 4. And we'll end with this passage with a little bit of instruction here. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 6. Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Okay, so why would you, why would letting your requests be made known to God Help with your anxiety. Because you know God can do something about it. There's faith. There's faith in prayer that quenches anxiety. And the peace of God, in verse 7, the peace of God, isn't that what we're looking for in the midst of the storm? The peace? That's what Jesus did to the water. He brought it to peace. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through self-help books. No, through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Is that what we meditate on when we're in the midst of the storm? Is that what the, the disciples were thinking about? In the midst of the storm, these things. No, they were anxious. They were thinking about death and imminent doom. The things which, and here, verse 9, this is what I want to end with. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. This is what God is teaching us through these trials. The things that you have learned, the things that you have received and heard and saw in me, These do. So Paul's saying, you have seen God work mightily in my life. You have seen what God is capable of in my testimony. You have seen me escape death on multiple occasions, even shipwrecks. Not, Not to mention, I've been teaching you about Jesus. I've been teaching you the truth of the word of God. Don't just listen. Don't just appreciate the stories. Take them. Receive them. Do them, and the God of peace will be with you. We know the answers. 
Most of you have been in church for decades, listening to the Bible proclaimed. You have been through more things than I've been through. Great pains and struggles and turmoil and strife. And you've seen God work time after time, bringing you through, teaching you those things. And you have seen testimonies of, you know, you talk about the Fox's Book of Martyrs. We've, we see missionary stories. We see all sorts of testimonies of how God has been working around the world. We know what God is capable of, both from Scripture and from modern testimony. We know what God is capable of. We know that God is for us and not against us. We know that his favor is upon us. These things, take them and actually put them to work in your life. There is no reason why we should be hopeless. No reason. Because we know, we see it. The problem is, we don't take what we know. What, what does the teacher say? You're a smart kid, you just don't apply anything. <laughs> I heard that plenty of times in school. <laughs> We all know the answers. We know what God's capable of. But we need to apply it. We need to actually believe it when it hurts, when it's hard to believe it. That's when it actually counts for something. That's why we have the knowledge in our heads, in our hearts, so that when it happens, we can have faith. Jesus put these disciples through, it, through the, the boat incident the first time. And the second time... They were able to remember who Jesus is. They were able to remember the lesson they learned from the first time. They were able to remember the rebuke of Christ. Why are you so faithless? Trust me. I'm here. I'm with you. I am with you. Why are you so faithless? And we can remember that rebuke from the first time and apply it to the second time and go out a little bit further. Take a bigger step. In faith, because of what we've learned. So here I, I encourage you, just in closing, take the things which you have learned and received and heard and seen, do them. That little, the little flame starts little, but the more you touch it to, the bigger the effect. So take what you have. What you have might be little, it might be little. We all start somewhere. But as long as you use it, it'll grow. Guaranteed. Do not be faithless, but believing. And the God of peace will be with you. Then, maybe one day you'll find yourself sleeping in a boat. Able to point other people to Jesus, to the faith that you have. People, I don't have to be worried. And here's why. Come with me as I follow Christ. He is worthy and he is able. Lord, I thank you that you are worthy and that you are able. And Lord, we look to Jesus for all of our sufficiency. We forsake the broken cisterns that we are often trying to lap water out of on our hands and knees. And Lord, we repent. I just pray, Lord, that you would grow our faith knowing that such a prayer often is followed up by pain, as you know that we only learn by experience. 
Lord, I just pray that you would help each one of us to apply what we have learned and seen in Christ and to give him the honor of actually believing it when it hurts. Forgive us and rebuke our spirits for where we fall short. Let us be humble enough to receive rebuke from you because we know that those whom you love, you chasten. Thank you that your will towards us is a will of goodness and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.